So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. We're continuing our study through Galatians in our series, There is One Gospel. And we're picking back up where we left off last Sunday, looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 again. Well, whether we are on this passage again because I simply couldn't finish the sermon last Sunday, or honestly because of my inability to preach this theologically rich and dense text in one sermon as originally planned, what is certain, I believe, is that this passage has some very timely, significant lessons for our church, for us to slow down, for us to reflect on, for us to take in the truths of these verses. And in the Lord's sovereignty, even through human error on my part, we get to study this passage again for our edification. Amen? Do you believe God has a word for you this afternoon? Amen. As you know, the context of the letter is Paul's defense, corrective, and exhortation against the Judaizers' false gospel of works, against gospel plus faith of legalism. And that there is only one true gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul's impassioned exhortation to the young Gentile Christians in Galatia is that they would truly experience and live out the freedom that Christ has purchased for them and for them to not submit again to the yoke of slavery, of works, and of sin. Paul argued no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live by faith. Faith in Christ's finished work, in his sinless life, in his substitute death, in his resurrection for our new and eternal life, his sovereign reign today, this moment, and the certain hope of his return. And Paul argued living by this faith is living in freedom. As he writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, young Christians, if you truly know the freedom of Christ... Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. Bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, so that you don't gratify the flesh, but rather glorify God the Father. And Christians do this mainly, as Paul explains, the life of the gospel is loving and serving one another. This is what distinguishes the true Christian from the false. Simple as that. The life of the gospel is loving and serving one another. Loving God is loving others. Simple as that. The life that lives by faith in Jesus Christ is one that dies to the self and lives in and through Christ. This is the heart of the letter. This is the message of Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, Paul's words are so relevant for us today, isn't it? In a day, in a county where the church is infiltrated with so much false teachers and false gospels, where as so many so-called Christian churches in our cities have strayed into gospel plus heresies which demands self-pleasure and self-righteousness and selfishness all around my choice, my rights, my body. God, through Paul, is calling us to be Christ's body. 
So how are we doing living out the true gospel by loving and serving others today? Ask yourself, examine your hearts this afternoon. How are you doing living out the true gospel by loving and serving others today? What does your loving and serving others in this gospel community reflect what is in your own hearts? Think about that. Examine your hearts today by the word. Listen, when has Christianity ever been about consumerism? Where we stroll in on Sundays to a nice and cool air-conditioned room. Where we are entertained with concert-like professional music and tickled with nicely articulated talks that impacts us minimally. When has Christianity ever been about getting our weekly religious fill so that we can feel better about ourselves, so that we can quell our guilty consciences? When has Christianity been about what we do with our lives as second or third or fourth priority after our jobs, after our families, after our children, after our leisure hobbies, only with minimal margin? When has Christianity not been about dying to ourselves so that Christ can live in and through us? Here at our young church, you are invited to the inglorious ministry of loving and serving others, of bearing burdens, of selfless giving. You have an opportunity here at our unimpressive church to commit to one another, to care for one another, to disciple one another, to love one another, so that Christ, Christ himself, can only be the one who is truly glorious. Amen? Last Sunday, I gave you the outline of the passage. Four evidences of a spiritual life. Here they are. Point number one, sacrificial burden bearing from verses one through two. Point number two, selfless sharing from verses three through six. Point number four, spiritual sowing, verses seven through eight. And point number four, steadfast persevering from verses nine through ten. Sacrificial burden-bearing, selfless sharing, spiritual sowing, and steadfast persevering. And I'd like for us to pick back up on points three and four, which we cannot get to last week. And my prayer for us this afternoon is that through this message, we would be challenged to examine our hearts, to live out the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can glorify him by loving and serving others through this local church congregation. Guests and visitors, welcome. As Brandon said already, thank you so much for joining us for our weekly Sunday gathering. If you are here and you know yourself to not be a Christian, we especially welcome you. We have been praying for you. We're not just saying that. We actually pray for you on Saturday mornings. We pray that the Lord would lead you here today to hear his word. And we pray that God would allow you to hear his timeless truth, his good news, that God, the creator of the universe, created us, created you with a purpose that you, even you, can be forgiven of your sins through his son, Jesus Christ, that you can be a part of the body of believers who have been born again to a new and eternal life if you would repent and believe and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So without further ado, let's turn to our passage, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, found on page 975 in the blue Bibles around you. And please, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open and reference it often for the entire duration of my reading and preaching. This will help you be a better student of God's word and help you to not merely be a spectator, but a participant in the preaching and hearing of God's word, to grow you in the knowledge of him and to love his word. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen? Last Sunday, we learned living a spirit-filled, spirit-led life is not living on a lofty pole in a mountain somewhere being spiritual, like Simeon the Stylite. But according to the Bible, we learned that that's not spiritual at all, living in seclusion. Spiritual life is sacrificially bearing one another's burdens, especially regarding sin. We as Christians bear one another's burdens regarding sin. And I didn't get to emphasize it last Sunday, but spiritual living is the mutual stewardship of corporate responsibility and individual accountability. Spiritual living is mutual stewardship of corporate responsibility. You have a responsibility together and individual accountability. Something very cool is that you'll see this even in the structure of the passage So take a look at our passage again. If you look at chapter 6, verse 1a, the first part of verse 1, you'll see what it says, right? You restore. You, plural, restore. Corporate responsibility. And then you see the second phrase of that verse, verse 1. Keep watch on yourself. Singular. Individual accountability. And then in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Plural. And then verses 3 through 5, let each one test his own work. For each will have to bear his own load, singular. And then verse 6 again, Let the one who is taught the word, church members, plural, share all good things with the one who teaches. And then verses 7 and 8 again, Whatever one sows, he will also reap, singular. And then verse 9 and 10, Let us, plural, not grow weary. If we do not give up, let us do good, as we have opportunity, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So again, corporate responsibility and individual accountability goes hand in hand in Christianity. They are partners for spiritual living. It's the very foundation of this local church and any other gospel preaching local churches. It's the testimony of the gospel displayed in real life. Redeemed sinners saved by the gospel individually, humble and self-aware are called together to live out the gospel in community corporately. You can't bear one another's burdens, you see, responsibility, if you don't bear your own load, accountability. And so Paul introduces us to the priorities of God's church, didn't he? To the ministry of restoration. He introduces church discipline for the first time since Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. And all throughout the passage, the idea of church membership, which is the flip side of the same coin, church discipline, church membership, is addressed in our passage You see, you can't restore people who are not committed to you. You don't go up to random people who are not committed to spiritual living and point out their sins. Corporate responsibility and individual accountability go hand in hand. 
And then in verse 6, that standout verse, which initially seems very out of place and a little awkward, the basic charge, church members pay your pastors, pay your teachers. You see, Paul is drawing attention of his hearers that spiritual living concerns the priorities of God. Listen carefully. This is a word for you, brothers and sisters. And the right preaching of the word is important. The point of church members paying preachers is so that preachers can give themselves wholly to the foremost task in the church of the church, the faithful preaching of God's word, so that the church can grow and flourish and to be built up to advance Christ's kingdom. Paul is emphasizing for Christians back in his day to the Galatians and in our day that right soteriology, theology of salvation, justification by faith alone, goes hand in hand with right ecclesiology, theology of the church. Soteriology and ecclesiology go together. It can't be separated. You can't have the right diamond of the gospel if you don't have the right ring of the biblical church to hold up that diamond. You can't have the diamond of the gospel shine forth if you don't have the rings to hold it up, the rungs to hold up the diamond, you see. The gospel can't shine. That's why we often say we believe the local church exists to proclaim and protect the what and the who of the gospel. The gospel is glorious and biblical churches hold up the gospel so that the gospel can shine forth. And speaking of the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the central message of Christianity. It's the best news you will ever hear. That God, the creator of the universe and the father of the Lord, Jesus Christ, granted us grace and peace through his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to die for us on the cross for our sins, sins of the past, present, and future. And by his resurrection to deliver us from the present evil age, granting us new and eternal life. That was God's will from the beginning, that he would save a people for himself, for us to know his fathomless, amazing, infinite glory and his amazing love. That those who would come to know this gospel would glorify him, the King of kings and Lord of lords, forever and ever and ever. So if you are here and know yourself to not be a Christian, here is God's invitation for you. Repent of your sins today. That means to turn from trusting in the things of this world and trusting in yourself and to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died for you and rose again for you. Trust him with your whole life today and tomorrow and forevermore because he is the only one who is able. Search all throughout history. There is no one who can claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. He is the only one who came to save you from the just punishment we all deserved apart from him coming here on earth. If you want to know more about how you can follow Jesus, the pastors of this church would love to talk to you at the close of service at the back doors, or you can speak to anyone smiling next to you. As I've shared with you, we've been praying for you, that you would be here today to hear about how you can follow Jesus and how Jesus is the most worthy King and Lord of all. Which is why we ought to love Paul's next challenge if we are to be spiritual and not carnal. Point number three, spiritual sowing. Spiritual living is spiritual sowing from verses 7 through 8. Look at verse 7. Again, it says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Verse 7 is summing up what Paul has been speaking about from verses 1 through 6. The ministry of restoration, keeping watch on ourselves, 
bearing one another's burdens, examining our own work, bearing one's load, sharing all good things with the one who teaches is spiritual living, is spiritual sowing, is living by faith. And so Paul cautions, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The image in the original language is to illustrate the idea of a man pointing his nose up at God. The idea of a snooty attitude before God. For anyone who comes into the household of God pretending to be spiritual, claiming to be a follower of Christ, but in reality a carnal wolf taking advantage of God's people, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For anyone among us who think they can get away with being a hypocrite, a Christian in name only, while your heart is far from God, who without a second thought engage in sexual immorality and impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. Perhaps you can get away for a week, for a month, for a year, for a few years without ever reading the Bible without ever really praying, without ever discipling anyone, without ever sharing or even attempting to share the gospel with anyone, without ever contributing your time and your service, your finances to the church, the body of Christ. But God is not mocked. Do not be deceived that you can get away. He sees all things. He knows all things. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Just as it would be unwise to test the law of gravity by driving a car off the top of a parking garage, so too it would be foolishness to test the law of the harvest by living a life centered upon ourselves, sowing to the flesh and not expecting a great fall, a great downfall. Hence verse 8 provides the reason why God is not mocked. Look at verse 8 again. It says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The parallel and the repetition of the phrases points us to distinguish the one thing which results in two entirely different outcomes, doesn't it? The point is now not the seed that is sown, but the field, the ground in which it is sown. What a man is to harvest depends upon the nature of the soil in which he sows. The one who sows to the flesh reaps corruption. Death and destruction. The one who lives for the flesh harvests death and destruction. Corruption is the fruit of the flesh. So understand this correctly. Corruption is not the secession, the end of human existence. It's not annihilation, but the existence of grief and woe and regret and guilt and shame and punishment, temporal, here on earth and forever in eternity. Endless torment. Endless conscious torment here on earth and forevermore. Hell now and forevermore. The next phrase of verse 8 confirms that this is not just a temporal thing, right? That it is indeed eternal. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Eternity with God in heaven and with all who love and are loved by Him. Or eternal hell with all who have rejected Christ in eternal torment. These two destinies hangs in the balance of what field you are choosing to sow to now. Some may think, well, eternity in heaven with God doesn't seem all that interesting or fun. 
So I'll just take my chances and enjoy the flesh a bit here on earth while I still can. But again, this is a grave misunderstanding. Eternal life is not mere life that lasts forever. That sounds pretty boring. It's rather God's very own life, the life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, graciously bestowed upon the children of God through faith in the Redeemer. Eternal life is the present possession of all who truly trusts in Christ as Savior and Lord. His peace, His joy, His hope, His strength, His life flowing in and through us now and forevermore for all eternity. <laughs> Why would you trade that for a momentary pleasures? Brothers and sisters, have you ever thought about your financial giving and tithing to this church in this way? In terms of eternal sowing? In terms of your spiritual act of worship? As this passage, according to Dr. Tom Schreiner, and he is exegetically right, is about financial giving. He says, and I quote, Generous giving is not optional, according to Paul. It is the prime indication that one who is walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is sowing to the Spirit. Paul ties how believers spend their money to their eschatological, to their final reward. Close quote. Jesus said it all along, Matthew 6, 21, For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So in regards to your giving, are you giving generously, intentionally, and joyfully? Generously, intentionally, joyfully. That's the point of the passage. I simply can't avoid it. So don't miss the point which Paul makes for us, which may be a surprising connection. As one commentator says, we've always assumed that eternal life is given in response to faith and not to works. Okay, we got that. But what we need to understand further is that sowing to the Spirit is simply another way to describe walking by faith. It's a life lived by faith and in reliance upon the Holy Spirit of God as both motivation and the means of giving sacrificially. In other words, spiritual living is sacrificial giving and spiritual sowing. If you care about the flourishing of the gospel ministry of Christ Church, put your skin in the game. Commit to bearing the burdens of one another because it's your church, because it's your salvation, because it's your eternity. Amen? Makes sense, right? I've been learning as you get older, it's harder to retain and build muscle. <laughs> Seems like no matter how hard I work out, these muscles just remain normal, flabby. I don't know what it is. No matter how much protein smoothies I drink, the stomach is not turning into six-pack. You know why? Who am I kidding? Sleeping four to five hours a night, eating too much carbs at night, rice, man, get that away from me. And barely working out once or twice a week, rowing and lifting maybe 15, 30 minutes a week is not going to turn me into Mark Negrampa or Brian Decker overnight, right? But you brothers just wait and see. I'll, I'll give you 10 years and, and see. <laughs> Anyways, the point is this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Do not be deceived. Your fruit will show exactly who you are. Your harvest will show exactly what you've been sowing. Which leads us to our final point. 
What does spiritual living look like? Point number four, steadfast persevering. Steadfast persevering, verses 9 and 10. I love this. Before Paul concludes what is arguably most, his most harshest, bluntest letter with his summary and farewell in verses 11 through 18, which is next Sunday's passage, Paul's final exhortation to the Galatians is encouragement. He knows how hard spiritual sowing is in this life. So in verse 9, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul knew and understood how hard it is to not grow weary in doing good. How hard it is to show up every Sunday ready to serve, ready to learn, ready to grow. Paul and God understands how weak us human beings are. Paul and God knew how easy it is for Christians to grow cold and forgetful. How easy it is for us to grow in spiritual laxity. So he calls upon the church, doesn't he? Not just you individually, but us all together. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Paul said it in other ways. In 2 Corinthians 4.1, By the mercy of God, by the mercy of God that are new every morning, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day after day after day. At a certain point, our physical body stops growing, right? Our physical body at a certain point is just dying. But the inner self continues to be renewed day by day by new mercies of Christ living in us and through us. So sow to the flesh, don't lose heart. In Ephesians 3, 13, So I ask you not to lose heart, Paul says, over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is saying, suffering in this life, the hardships that you face in this life is for your glory so that you don't love this world but love God, so that you don't cling to this world, the pleasures of this world, but cling to the pleasures of God and hope in the pleasures of God. In Luke 18, Jesus said it, always pray, always pray, and do not lose heart. Again, brothers and sisters, waiting is hard, but God has a purpose for our waiting. In the waiting, don't be stagnant. In your singleness, burn up your passions for God. In your marriage, utilize your multiplied gifts between husbands and wives and resources to build up the church. In your youth, use your time to grow in the word and in service to God in love, joy, and peace in him alone. In your 20s and 30s, not only grow your resumes, but grow in your godly reputation, in patience and kindness and goodness in him toward others. In your 40s and 50s, help build this church into the next generation by modeling faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In your 60s and 70s and 80s, let us young folks hold you up as trophies of God's grace, as evidences of God's faithfulness that we too, young ones, can persevere in faith. So at our younger church, where the average age of our congregation is about 27, 28, we love, we so appreciate our slightly older brothers and sisters, our 50s and older saints, Kian Bo, John Marie, and Bernadette, Min and Chang, sorry I'm calling you out, <laughs> Brian and Lorianne, Brother Ignacio, who just turned 50 this year. Sister Juana, 50, right? <laughs> he said this. 
Thank you, brothers and sisters, for your perseverance. Thank you for your faithfulness to Christ. Thank you for being a part of this young local church to share in making the what and who of the gospel your priority. We are blessed by you, encouraged by you, loved by you, and we love you. Let's keep going. Let's keep persevering. For in due season, the scripture says, we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. In 10 years, in 20 years, perhaps, for some of you, you want to be like them, don't you? Amen? You want to be like them, don't you? Still sitting at church Sunday after Sunday, testifying of Christ's graces. Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The great unspeakable reward and eternal joy is for those who will not give up. Let's help one another toward that final day of the greatest harvest yet to come. One commentator says, the sacrifices we've made in this life will appear small. You think you're doing so much for God? On that day, all the sacrifices will appear very small even to the point of insignificance on that great and majestic day. I hope you don't miss the point of the passage. Some of you who are a bit offended by me encouraging you in the word, by giving to the church, give to the church, that's the message of the passage. But know this, giving is not ultimately about anyone else. It's not for me. It's not even for you. It's about God. It's about glorifying him. It's about us proving to him he is our treasure. He is our reward. Verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The phrase, as we have opportunity, does not mean when we have time, but that the time is now. It's indicating urgency. Now is the time to do good. Jesus had already said in John 7, 6, your time is always opportune. So not tomorrow, not when you are married, not when you have kids, not when you settle down, not when you have a better job, not when you have a higher salary, not when your kids are out of the house, while you have the opportunity, while you are alive and breathing. So, to the Spirit, before it's too late, do good to everyone. But of course, notice the caveat, do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Priority goes to fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, those whom you are covenanted together in corporate responsibility and individual accountability. Don't try to save the world before lending a hand to your fellow brothers and sisters. Don't try to fight for social justice and to reform the, the country or the city before you serve and give faithfully to build up Christ's church. The world will know that we are His by the love that we have for one another. So in summary of verses 9 and 10, doing good works is hard, but we wait with expectation. We persevere in it. We are urgent and on alert. We prioritize the household of faith. That's what the Lord is calling us to through this passage. Let me close with an excerpt from Charles Spurgeon's sermon from Psalm 126, verse 6. This is such a good verse, you should write it down. Psalm 126, verse 6 says this, and then Spurgeon's comment on it. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home 
with shouts of joy. Spurgeon says, the whole of our life we are sowing in activity, in suffering, in thought, in word. We are always scattering imperishable seed. But those sow amidst laughter and merriment, they sow onto the lust of the flesh and shall of the flesh reap corruption. Theirs is easy work and suitable to their inclinations. All around them siren songs cheer them in the field of transgression as they go forth with the seeds of hemlock to scatter it broadcast in the furrows. Alas for them, they shall reap under other skies. They shall gather sheaves of flame and the harvest of fire in the day of vengeance of God. They have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind, and who shall help them in that hour of terror? A chosen company are sowing onto the Spirit, and in their case, a bed they are blessed among men and shall reap amid eternal songs. They sow right now in sadness. For sowing onto the Spirit involves self-denial, a struggle against the flesh, a running counter to the fallen instincts of our depraved nature. A wrestling and a life of agony involving plentiful showers of tears. To sow onto the Spirit in the field of obedience or patient endurance is such a work as the Holy Spirit can enable us to accomplish. And even then, the oppositions from the outward circumstances, from the powers of hell, and from the depravity of our own nature is oftentimes so severe that we are compelled with bitter tears and strong cryings to lift up our heart unto God out of the depths of anguish. They who sow unto the Spirit as a rule have to sow in tears, but their reaping will so compensate them that even in the prospect of it, they may dry their eyes, reckoning that these light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to them. Our momentary weeping while we let fall the precious seeds scarcely to be thought of in comparison with the mighty sheaves of exceeding glory in the land where tears are divinely and finally wiped away from every eye. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says in Revelation twenty-two twelve, 12, Behold, behold, look out. I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Brothers and sisters and family of New Covenant Baptist Church, let us not lose heart. Let us not grow weary of doing good. By his Holy Spirit, may we continue to sacrificially bear one another's burdens, selflessly share and give to God's priorities, to spiritually sow unto eternal life, and be steadfast in our persevering until the great day of his great comeback. Let's pray. Father, we proclaim that you are our treasure. There's no one besides you. There is no one like you. Father, we know the pleasures of this world are fleeting and temporary. The pleasures of this world are not worth death and destruction forever in hell. Father, may we look to you. Thank you for the graces already you have bestowed upon us to have eyes for you, to awaken our hearts, to be, to be made aware of our depravity and our sin. Father, help us to grow more in you. Help us to not grow weary in doing good, in loving and serving others, 
in sacrificially bearing one another's burdens and selflessly giving onto the Spirit until that final day of your return. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.